So as you know, we, we've started last week a new series in the uh, book of James, just looking at the first chapter, chapter one together. And um, it's titled New Year Reflections, What to Do When Blank Comes. And each week we're filling in that blank with a new word or topic. Last week we looked at trials. Um, and this week we're going to look at something else. But one of the unique things about this series is we're going to read the scripture together aloud. Because James 1 is meant to be read uh, by the body of Christ together. It was written to be memorized. And so I encourage you as part of your, your daily spiritual rhythm to be trying to memorize James chapter 1. And maybe at the end of February we can have a group that uh, can do that together. But part of that is saying it out loud. And so I invite you to... Uh, read the scripture together. It's on the screen uh, or it's also in your printed bulletin. Uh, we're going to read James chapter 1 verses 5 to 8 and then we'll learn a little bit together through this. So let's read the word of God together. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me open us up in a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning from James 1, verses 5 to 8, to teach us by your Holy Spirit, who is the true teacher and counselor and helper. We ask all this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. This week I saw a video which was really comforting to me. It was a video of a swimming pool, so the camera was focused on a swimming pool, and in the swimming pool were these little ducklings these little baby ducks and they were swimming around in the pool but all of a sudden the camera pans and you see the mother duck outside the pool and the little ducklings are having trouble getting outside the pool to the mother duck and so whoever is filming the, the swimming pool they decided to put a little life preserver next to the edge of the pool and hope that the little ducklings would discover that they can jump on top of it and then jump out to the mother duck and so Talk about a cute video. You got these little ducklings who eventually make their way to the life preserver and hop up one at a time. And then finally they follow the mother duck and they're on their merry way. But it just was a great image to me of comfort because you have people who are in great need who needed some assistance, something they, they couldn't get out of the pool themselves. They, they, they were too small. They didn't have the, the legs to make the jump. The mother duck did, um, but they needed outside assistance. And so the, the, the word we're filling in the blank with this morning of what to do when blank comes is the word this morning is lack. What to do when lack comes, or it's kind of an awkward way to say it. So another way to say it is what do you do when you don't know what to do? Or what do you do when you're not able to do what you want to do? What do you do when you're lacking? What do you do in times of lack? We are all people who lack in some way, big or small. And so I just invite you even now to reflect on the most recent time when you didn't know what to do. Maybe it was a big thing, maybe it was a small thing, 
But each of us have moments, probably daily, where you don't quite know what to do and you feel like you're lacking the ability to accomplish what you're trying to do. And what did you do during that time that you didn't know what to do? Many of us give up and just move on to something else. If you're of a certain generation, you turn to YouTube and you see if there's an instructional video on YouTube of how to do something. Or maybe you, maybe you got really angry. Or maybe you just waited it out and then eventually maybe you figured it out. In our passage today, we're going to look at, it's, it's in some sense a really simple sermon uh, because we're going to look at beginning with, we're going to just look at the character of God. And we're going to look at three, three character traits of God from this passage of what to do when you're lacking. And then from that are going to flow three other things that will kind of be more practical applications of that. But I just invite you to follow along with me in James 1 as we learn this morning that God is everything that we need and what we can't be ourselves. That's the basic message. God is what we need and what we can't be ourselves. He is. That's the basic message. And so if Alan had shared for 20 more minutes about wonderful stories of God's working, I would have got up here and just said that, and we could have moved along and had a wonderful day on that. But because Alan withheld a little bit, we'll hear from more another time. I'll share for about 20 minutes some other things from this. But God is what we need and what we can't be ourselves. So let's look at these three character traits of God from James 1, verses 5 to 8. Number one, God is supremely wise. He is supremely wise. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, God in his character, in and of himself, is wisdom. He is wise, and he is wisdom personified. Wisdom is not necessarily a thing that we learn. Wisdom is God himself. He contains all the wisdom of the world. He knows all, meaning that he has all infinite knowledge, and he applies it all into the world with wisdom. Romans 11 says, just this, you know, Paul gets to this place. I don't know if you've read the book of Romans before. I, I pray that you have. But the first nine chapters, ten chapters are really dense. It's like reading a theological textbook. And there's all kinds of things. You can just kind of go one word at a time for the first ten chapters. And then chapter 11, at the end of it, begins to make this turn towards the practical. And in that turn, Paul says this. He's basically looking back over all the wisdom and all the theological depth that he's just explored in Romans 1 to 10. And he says in Romans 11, verse 33, he, just has, he has this moment of, of doxology, this moment of praise. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. He just, I mean... If you're reading Romans, then you get to that place, you just kind of, you feel the Apostle Paul take a big step back, and he's like, God, you are so wise and so knowledgeable. He just, he, he, he worships him in that moment and adores him. 
And so when you don't know what to do, isn't it so comforting to just even imagine, or for those of us that are Christians, to believe and to know that there's someone who is wise? When you don't know what to do, isn't it comforting to know that there's someone who does know what to do, who you can reach out to and actually pour yourself out to and say, I don't know what to do, but I trust that you do. Even if you don't believe, I think that's a comforting feeling to know that there, there could be a God who does know what he is doing, that there actually is wisdom. On the other side, how dark of a life it would be if you didn't have the hope of someone being wise, where in your moment of, I don't know what to do, I'm lacking, to not know if there's anybody that knows the answer. That to me is darkness. That to me is hopelessness. But hope is found in the fact that God is wise. And that's the scripture's teaching. And so wisdom itself is understanding how to live in all circumstances, in all situations. You know, we, we've used the word unprecedented or uncertain so many times in the last two years. It's a, it's a feeling that now we, we once knew was there, but now it's become mainstream of, we don't know what to do. How many times, I mean, I don't know if we've heard leaders say this very much. They, they should say this more, presidents and prime ministers and stuff. People should be more quick to say, we don't know what to do. Because in the reality we've learned over the last two years, most people don't know what to do with a global pandemic because it's fairly unprecedented. And it's okay to admit when you don't know what to do. But we've all learned afresh that we are, we are limited and lacking people. We're in good company with that. The scriptures talk about wisdom throughout the scriptures. There's even a whole genre of the Old Testament called wisdom literature because they, they knew at that time more than what we seem to know now, which is that we need wisdom. And so books like the Psalms and the Proverbs and the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, they're written in a different way. And they're, they're meant to convey wisdom in the most uh, beautiful way. The Apostle Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Basically saying all wisdom that we have in and of ourselves is limited because there's only one wise God, only one wise being. And wisdom is simply the true life being lived out. As the New Testament comes in, we see that Jesus himself is wisdom in the flesh. Colossians 2 says that Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's like when this person, Jesus, came, all of a sudden the treasures of the ages began walking around and God's wisdom and knowledge was seen and evidenced in a person. It's like the Psalms and the Proverbs came to life and began walking around and began teaching. God is supremely wise. That's the first character trait from this passage where we start with. Number two, the second character trait. Again, I'm, I'm, I may get to a place where I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul here in a second and just like stop and praise. Because when you start reading these truths together, you just, your heart wells up because you realize how much you're lacking. But number two, God is uniquely generous. God is the source and the treasure trove of wisdom. 
and yet he is uniquely generous and that he gives it out to the world. It says here that if any of you lacks wisdom, look to the one who gives generously to all without reproach. God gives. God does not withhold. God is a generous giving God. He does not withhold from the world, but rather he loves to give because that's what his heart is about. His character is one of generosity, one of giving. There's a, a parable in Luke chapter 11 where I'll just read it to you, verses 5 to 13. It's Jesus teaching, and he gives them this story, this parable. And he says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, leave me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. It says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. That's what a good friend does, right? Is if someone knocks on your door and they say, I have somebody that's in need, they'll get up and, and help you with it. That's the, the crux of it. Goes on to say, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And then he says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil or sinful, as we learned in the children's moment, if even if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, God does not give us a scorpion if we ask for bread. God is a generous giving God who gives us what we need when we ask. We're going to get to the asking point in a little bit in the sermon. But the point in this is that God is immensely rich. He is rich in all things. We already mentioned knowledge and wisdom but he's rich in, in containing everything that we need. And he actually is the, is the rich person who gives. He's like the Uncle Scrooge in the Christmas story, except he doesn't change at the end and become generous. He's always been generous. He always is lavishing good gifts on his children. Just as the ocean exists to contain water and to host life within that water, God exists as a generous, giving God. If the ocean ceased to have water in it, that would be the same thing as to say that God is not generous. God is not giving. The ocean is existing because it has water in it. God exists because he's a giving God. That's his character. That's his heart. He gives generously, not just a portion not just a 10% tithe of who he is. He gives fully, generously. Let's just pause here on the, the generosity component. Next week, we're going to have a special Sunday where we, we're going to call it Stewardship Sunday and just have kind of a set-aside moment during the service to really contemplate on generosity and our gifts, both in money but also in, in, our, in our actions and our serving. 
So we're going to save most of that discussion for next week. But just pause here on what is generosity? What does this mean when it says that God gives generously? You know, that, that's an extra word that's given here. It could have just said he gives to all, but it says he gives generously to all. This is my definition of generosity. Generosity means giving enough to make you feel the sacrifice and at least a little bit of pain of the giving. You see, if, if someone gives me something that I didn't need and then I re-gift it to somebody else, that's not really generosity. That's just re-gifting. But if I give in a way that hurts a little bit, where I, I lose something, where I feel a little bit of the sacrifice of it, that's generosity. And don't you see, that's what God has proven over and over to us. And that's why the cross is the grand symbol of the Christian faith is because it shows us that God was willing to be pained and to sacrifice so as to give. That's the heart of generosity for God. And he primarily gives mercy and grace. One, one author says that um, God is rich in mercy he is rich in the currency of mercy and grace, and he's a big spender. He has so much mercy and grace in him, and he loves to spend it. And he loves to spend it on his children, you and me. Or as another pastor has said, this was written in a letter to his church in the year 1948, so 70 years ago. He says, God never tires of giving. Even when we are not grateful, he gives and gives and gives again. Sometimes when others have grieved him, as we think, we suppose that God will visit him or punish them or deal hardly with him. Instead, he lavishes more of his love upon them. That's who God is. He's wise and he's generous. And you see here, it says he gives to everybody. He gives to all, meaning there's no one that's disqualified from receiving what God has to offer. In fact, I would say quite to the contrary, he is nearer to the poor, nearer to the broken in spirit, nearer to the outcast and the unwise, to those who cannot pay him back. He loves to give to those people even more because he gives without reproach, meaning without insult, without being demeaning or mean or harsh. He expects nothing in return other than our heart. He's not the evil bank loner who's going to come chasing after you, asking you, when are you going to repay me for all the money I gave you or all the mercy I gave you? When are you going to give that back? No. God gives it to us freely in Christ. He is gracious. He expects nothing in return other than our heart. There's no scolding or backhanded bargain. He is lavish and free. That's good news. The third character trait, and then we'll start pouring into the application here at the end. But the third character trait, and this is maybe my favorite one, God is eternally stable. It says here, if you ask, he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, later in the passage, it talks about you know, it, it turns and starts talking about humanity and doubting 
and being tossed like the waves that are driven by the sea and tossed by the wind and being double-minded and unstable in all of our ways. That's describing humanity. But God is the exact opposite of that. What he does is he is consistent and stable. When he says he will give, he will give. He never changes. When you're talking about stability, think about the most stable, firm, strong thing you can imagine. And that is how God is. He does not shift. He does not adjust. He does not get tossed to and fro. He does not change his mind. His plans are secure for eternity because nothing can thwart or shake the plan of God. Because he is wisdom, he knows the beginning from the end, which means that nothing changes. He is stable in all of his ways. And the reason this speaks so prominently to me is because people tell me from the outside that I'm a steady, stable person. And maybe I come across that way to some people, but guess what? There's a lot of days where I'm exactly the opposite of that. And I know that it may not come across to many people. I may be kind of stoic in my appearance, but I am not stable all the time. I am not steady all the time. And as a pastor, sometimes you convince yourself that you have to be so that, so that people can come to you and find stability, find steadiness, find that, that even keel. And I've had to learn over the years that I have to look to Jesus because he's the, ultimately, the, the ultimate stable one. And my job when you come to me looking for stableness and stability and steadiness is not to say, okay, let me give you that. My job is to point you to the stable one to the one who is unchangeable, to the one who is steady, to the one who is consistent. And that takes the pressure off of me and it certainly is better for you because God is immensely, eternally stable. Let me just read a, a little portion here from a, someone I was reading this week. He says it better than I can. He says, in this shifty, uncertain world, God has given us actual words, concrete, unmoving, fixed words, we can go to the rock of scripture amid the shifting sands of this life. Your Bible is going to have the same words tomorrow that it does today. Friends can't provide that. They will move in and out of your life. Parents and their counsel will die. Your pastor will not always be available to take your call. The counselor who has been such a sage instructor will one day retire or maybe you'll move out of state. But you can roll out of bed tomorrow morning and whatever stressors slide uncomfortably across your mental horizon as you groan with the anxieties of your day, your friend, the Bible, will unfailingly be steady. It lies there, awaiting opening, eager to steady you amidst all the unanswered questions before you that day. It will give you what you need and not evade you. Our truest wisdom and only safety is to build our lives on its words. You see, we are the ones in this passage who doubt God. We are all prone to doubt. We are ones who are called double-minded because we have, we have mixed motives in almost everything that we do. And we are, as it says, unstable in all of our ways. That, that defines each of us if we look truly at ourselves. I looked at the, the Greek word for unstable just to see if I could learn something from it. And this is all I learned from it. The Greek word for unstable is the Greek word akastastastas. 
Doesn't that just sound like an unstable word to you? Akastastastas. That's, that's unstable, just as you say it out loud. I didn't look any deeper after that. I said, that, that's the point right there. Because each of us, I think, feel that unstableness in our own soul. And again, isn't it such a comfort to know that there is someone who is stable, that there is someone you can go to when you're not steady. And in those moments where you are shaky and you need something from the outside, God is the one who is stable in all his ways. And so let's look at these three practical things that are given to us just here at the end. The first thing that this passage teaches us that we can have when we are lacking is the recognition that we can ask God. That really is the whole sermon, that one point. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. In some sense, this whole sermon is a sermon about prayer. But if I opened the sermon by saying, let's learn about prayer, it may not have the same effect as if I had just told you about the three character traits of who God is. Because you see, as Christians or as people that are in a church building or listening in, we, I think we know we should pray. And yet, if a pastor stands up here and says, pray, pray more, it feels like a burden, doesn't it? It feels like something maybe we're not achieving. But once we see that God is wise, that God is generous, that God is the one who we can go to for stability. Then I think our hearts want to pray. And we can look at that, those four words, let him ask God and actually do it because we see that God is someone that we can, we can run to in our times of greatest need. Prayer is the lifeblood of life and of the church. When you lack, pray. Go to the source, go to the well of all things, the depth of all understanding, and it says he will answer you. Number two, the practical thing is, is that this passage teaches us not just that we can pray, but it teaches us that to have the humility to pray in faith. Or another way to say that is, is what happens after you pray? Do you actually believe that God is going to listen and answer your prayer? This passage says, whenever you ask God, ask it in faith. Some of us have, have prayed so much and felt like we haven't received answers that, that now, even when we pray, there's a prayer of doubt in there of, I'm going to pray this, but I don't actually think it's going to work. Almost like a magic trick. But you see, the beauty of prayer is that it's not about any kind of device or any about right way of wording it or any about, about any kind of right place you need to be in or any kind of device or, or any kind of special secret sauce. It's about the heart of trusting in, in faith that God hears your prayer and that he will give you it if you're lacking. Let me give you an illustration. There's in Zambia, the African country, there's a huge waterfall called Victoria Falls. And imagine trying to throw a little pebble into Victoria Falls to stop it from coming down. Is that little pebble going to do anything to stop Victoria Falls 
from rushing down gallons upon gallons of roaring water? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. So in the same way, when we pray to God, who is the giver generously of all things, mercy and grace, why would we think that our little doubt or our little concern would stop him from rushing to us to hear our prayer? See, that's, that's, that's the intensity of the mercy and love of God, is the intensity of, of Victoria Falls rushing's water, rushing waters is the same as the intensity of the love and grace of God to us. And we just have to pray in faith with our heart. And lastly, I, I, I really encourage this. It ties into the, the, the reading I had just a moment ago from the other author. But the third practical thing is that this passage keys us into is the ability to actually hear God's voice and see his plan unfold. You see, the reason why James is so powerful is because it is one page of a number of stories in the scriptures that are given to us specifically for wisdom in life. This book is itself our wisdom source for all life. Let me give you two images to kind of finish here, just to drive home this point of the centrality, not only of prayer for wisdom, but also for the scriptures. This is why I'm encouraging scripture memory. This is why we study the Bible when we preach. This is why we bring the Bible to our Sunday school classes, to our Zoom Bible study, because we find our wisdom from this book. But let me give you two ways just to kind of think about this. First, there's, there's a hallway on the Boca Raton Innovation Campus in Florida. It's this giant complex, this office complex. And there's a hallway that is 907 feet long. It's the longest hallway in the United States. Can you just imagine the amount of doors and the amount of offices and the never-ending corridor? Oftentimes we think about wisdom in some kind of way like that of, I need to investigate each of these, open each of these doors until I find the right one and there's the wisdom. And it feels like a never ending search. It is the exact opposite of that when it comes to God. God is not at the end of the never ending hallway and he's not behind one of those mysterious doors that you keep trying to opening up. He is making himself freely available in his word and through the scriptures. And the second point that I'm gonna finish with, and this is my concluding illustration here, is Alan was talking about you know, the church and Christians in a hard part of the world. And I, I was reading a book this week about uh, the church in, the, in, in persecuted nations or Christians who live in hard contexts. And there was one story about a church gathering in China where they went out to a rural part of China and they gathered as 150 people uh, in this rural part of China. They'd come from the urban centers out to this place to gather in, in quiet where they knew they'd have, they'd have some security. And the, the person who's writing the story was a visitor to this, he's a Westerner. And he says he woke up one morning and all he could hear was paper being torn. Just that very distinct sound of paper being torn. And he looked out his window and he saw um, someone with a book tearing pages out and handing it out to each other. So he, he turns to his, his, his host, who's Chinese, and says, what are they doing? And they said, oh, these, these people don't have a Bible of their own. So they all agreed last night that they were gonna take one book of the Bible home and study it and use it for their, their wisdom in life. 
And so here's the funny thing about the story. Some of those people could have received the Psalms, which is like hundreds of pages, 150 chapters. And some of those people could have received the book of Philemon or Jude, which is one page, 20 verses. And you know what? The wisdom of God is available in both of those uniquely. And the wisdom of God is able to be learned through either one page of scripture or through 150 chapters of the Psalms, which are all about wisdom. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Because the words of God, the Bible, was written by men from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So friends, when lack comes, when you don't know what to do, Remember that God is supremely wise, uniquely generous, eternally stable, and that he's given to us the ability to pray, the humility to pray in faith, and the ability to hear his voice in scriptures that we have. And we get to do it together as a church. And so I I thank God for each of you for helping me grow in wisdom. It's my prayer that I can come alongside you in your journey as well. Let me close in prayer and we'll sing one more song. Lord, we pray in faith even now. We want to practice what we just heard. We pray now that you would fill us up with what we are lacking ourselves. You are what we need. You are what we can't be ourselves. When we don't know what to do, may you be the one that we run to first in faith because you're a God who's proven yourself faithful through the years. And Lord, even when we feel like our prayers have not been answered, Lord, may we have a deeper abiding trust that, that maybe you have been answering that prayer, or maybe you're in the process of answering it more fully than we originally thought. But may we look at the God of the scriptures and see one who is trustworthy, who is generous in all things, and who loves us, just as mightily as that rushing waterfall in in Zambia. That's your love for us. Unstoppable, unceasing. We ask all this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.